Welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and some friends on their way to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And Jesse. Hey, y'all. We start, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? All right. Actually, before we get to that, quick announcement. The announcement is Tantrum Con 2024 dates have been announced. And those days are Thursday, January 25th to January 28th. It is no longer in February. It is still in Charlotte. It is now in January. So if you want to start looking into getting your tickets, look into that now. Nice. Sounds good. Do you have any announcements before I talk about what I'm playing? Uh, My baby turned one not too long ago. Aww. Yay. That's pretty, Congratulations. That's pretty good. Pretty good announcement. I could have announced that several episodes ago, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, by the time this episode comes out, your your daughter will be much more than one. Uh, Only two months more. All right. So, I have been playing games. Oh, boy. (laughs) In fact, I just got done playing with a game right before recording, and that's the game I want to talk about. And we mentioned this a few episodes ago. And because there's a lot of amazing games out there, I finally got to it. I finally got to play Parks with the Wildlife Expansion. So the Wildlife Expansion came out in 2022. This, what what do you call it? A a worker walking along a trail kind of thing? Yeah, it doesn't fit nicely into a bunch of categories. It's kind of worker placement, kind of rondel. It's, It's weird. Yeah, so, good. so Parks was already a really good game. I enjoyed it. You basically have this trail, and each player has a series of hikers that is hiking down this trail, and each spot on the trail has an action. You know, this kind of sounds like Takeda, which we talked about last week. Shout out to her last week episode. And the nice kicker is, is hikers do not like to share the trail with each other. So you can move your hiker as far forward as possible as long as you put them on a spot that are that there isn't a hiker. Now there is just 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 like in real life. Just like in real life. There there is a little bit of manipulation with this. There are game bending things that allow you to share spaces with each other. You know, just a little bit of flexibility. And so it's really crunchy in the way of oh, I need to do this action, then this action to maximize getting resources so I can visit these national parks and score this kinds of bonuses. And then, oh, that person went to the tree spot right when I wanted to go. Well, fantastic game. And I picked up wild the wildlife expansion at uh, Tantrum Con 2023, and that was in February. It is now September I say with a lot of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) And I finally played it. And this game adds a couple rule changes that David mentioned in a previous episode where you draw multiple canteens. These are the equipment. Actually, equipment's a different card. Uh, These are items that will give you bonuses. It modifies those rules. It has a nice bison that will modify how you interact with the parks that you're visiting, which is really cool. It allows you to turn resources into wild resources. And it adds a couple special tiles uh, into the mix that you can uh, see along your trail. Oh, and one of the coolest things is the park tile is always in the first season. Which I think is a great rule change. Yes. So the rule changes that they made really 
even out a little bit of the randomness that you might see that a little bit of the discomfort whereas adding only good things i really like the animals in this game i got an obscene amount of wilds through an equipment <laughs> card that i got i think at one point i had six or seven wild pieces <laughs> oh yeah and i love the new parks that just like oh it takes these resources and get this bonus and it's just it's the same amount of crunchiness, but it feels like it accelerates the pace of play a little bit faster, which I also really, really enjoy. So, Michael, do you like this one better than Nightfall? I played them at the same time, and I think Nightfall adds a little bit more variety. I think Wildlife takes what Parks does and does it like makes it better. Okay. But I played with both expansions at the same time. Really enjoyed it. 2022. Oh, and I have the special pieces that I picked up from Keymaster Games at a con. So that was really cool. Played with those. Took a picture. I'll send them to you guys later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe we'll put it on the gram. Ooh, maybe. It's my turn. So send it to me and I'll put it on the Instagram and act like I I played it. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So, Jesse, what you been playing? Well, I haven't really been playing a lot of games lately because as a teacher, this is my busiest time of year. So I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But over Labor Day weekend, I got to hang out with my best friend and her family. And we played a couple games of Draftosaurus, which is a 2019 game in which a dinosaur park will always attract tourists if you can place your species right. It's designed by a whole team of people. Like there's four designers named. Antoine Bauza, Corentin Lebrat, Ludovic Maublanc, and Theo Riviere. For a game with such little complexity, I was surprised to see there were that many designers named. And it's published by Arcana. It's a quick and light drafting game in which you have six different colors of dinosaurs and six different pens in your dinosaur zoo. Each of those pens has different rules, so you're trying in one pen to get only dinosaurs of the same color. And in another pen, you can only have dinosaurs of different colors. And you want one pen to have the dinosaur that you have the most of the color in and one to have where it's your only dinosaur of that color. So it's an it's a light and easy game. My nephew, who is eight years old, really, really loves it. It was quick and easy to play. Each round, a different player rolls a die and it gives a different placement rule. So you have to place left of the river or you have to place in the mountainous side of the board or whatever. And then if you're the one who rolls the die, you get to break that rule, which is kind of nice. It's an okay game. It's fun with my nephew. He's eight and he won the second game of it, which was a lot of fun. It was a good time. I'm excited to get him for Christmas the two expansions for this. There's one that adds like pterodactyls and one that adds some kind of water dinosaur that I don't know what it's called. And that's mostly what I've been playing. Uh, David, what have you been playing lately? I have been hunting down an expansion for one of my favorite games. It's not in stock in a lot of places, it's hard to find, and that is Red Cathedral's Contractors. This is an expansion that was released last year. It's published by Devere Games. They're a Portuguese, not a Portuguese, they're a Brazilian board game company that I really have my eye on. It looks like they put out a lot of unique and interesting games. And if you listen to the episode where we did our top 10, the Red Cathedral was my number five. It, it's cracked my top five. It's one of my favorite games. I'm a champ, a huge champion of this game. It's a Euro game that plays under an hour. It's right up my alley. 
so I finally got my hands on the expansion and got it to the table with my father-in-law, who loves this game as well. So I'm, I'm glad that I have somebody to play this game with whenever I get a chance. I'm always wary about expansions on either what they add. If they add too much, does it increase the time? Would it push, uh, would it push my beloved one-hour game beyond that mark? And what Red Cathedral adds is like a new kind of area control set collection uh, mechanism to the game. You have in the regular version of uh, Red Cathedral, you can do one of three actions. You can either claim a place, piece of the cathedral, you can move resources to a piece you have claimed to try and build that piece of the cathedral, or you can move dice along a rondelle to collect resources that you need to move to build the cathedral. And the game is over when somebody has built all six of their cathedral pieces. What the expansion does is it adds a fourth action that you can take. You can now hire a contractor from a part of Russia to come and lend their expertise. What that means is they give you a super powerful action that you can use one time before you have to go hire another contractor. My main worries about this game was it was going to increase the length. It added an, it added another action, and, and I thought it would just be distracting. But the game balances this really well by adding an extra die to the rondelle itself, which means when you're moving dice, you have more options to move, so it's a little bit easier to get exactly what you want. And also, when you get resources, there's a multiplier based on the number of dice in that spot that you end up landing on. So if with more dice on the board, it's more likely that you're going to get more resources. So it kind of, it kind of pumps up the engine of the game a little bit to counteract, any, uh, to counteract any slowdown of that sideboard. That being said, we only took the sideboard action five times throughout the game. That's a, a total of five times between the two players. So it is not necessary to take. But when you are placing, when you're hiring your contractors, you need to worry about what city you're hiring them from. Because once a column of the cathedral is completed, a new mechanism is that city will score. And it can be a lot of, it can be a lot of points that you earn. So it's one of those games where you can completely ignore the expansion and just play it as you normally would, and that's totally fine. But I think, I, I haven't seen anybody do this yet, because I've only played with the expansion once, but I'm wondering if you don't focus on the expansion, you kind of have to rush endgame and really focus on ending the game as soon as you can, because if somebody sets up that scoring mechanism really well with the expansion bits... Uh, I think it could leapfrog them ahead, and I don't know if you'd be able to catch up after that. All in all, it was a ton of fun. Um, something else that I really enjoyed is every time you move a die, it lands on an action space, and then you have three things that you can do. You can take the action that you landed on. Uh, you have special tokens that you can assign to each die throughout the game. You can take that uh, little action. Or there are cards around the board that affect each quadrant of the track you're moving dice around. And whenever you land in that quadrant, you can activate that card. And the expansion provides a lot more of those new cards. So you're not limited to what was in the base game. So it adds a little bit of variety. And something that I really liked is they, they marked off each card. Like, okay, this card you can use without the expansion. This card you need the expansion with. And, and, and I thought that was... A really nice touch. Uh, so it's like, oh, hey, if you don't like all of this, you can just use some of it. And it adds variety to the base game. 
And that is all about Red Cathedral. Shout out to our Discord user, Redwolf, who asked me these questions after I posted about it in GameGuessr. I just got a question for you. What, you don't think I wasn't going to talk about it on the podcast? You listen to our podcast. Why do you got to have spoilers, man? <laughs> We're all about that content. <laughs> I mean, if you post it in the Discord, you should expect a rousing conversation around it, David. Post it in the Discord and then just not talk about it. <laughs> so all in all, I really liked, uh, I really liked all the stuff it adds. Uh, but it, I don't think it's necessary to have. It's it's a nice-to-have expansion, not a need-to-play. Still need to play the game. Man, yeah, it's so good. I love it. It's so good. And that brings us to our next section, Game of the Fortnite, the part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And this Fortnite, we're talking about cartographers. Michael, since you own this game, why don't you give us the rundown? Cartographers is a 2019 flip and write game. Uh, it's designed by Jordi Aiden, artist Luis Francisco, and Lucas Ribeiro. I Ribeiro. I really hope I said that right. And it is published by Thunderworks Games. This is a flip and write where we are cartographers, hence the name. And the queen has sent us to the northern lands to reclaim and uh, survey the land. So this game takes place over four seasons. And each season lasts a certain length where you're flipping a stack of cards. And whatever is revealed on that card, you draw it. Uh, Each season has specific scoring conditions. Each scoring condition will be scored in two different seasons. It's just something to keep in mind. So you have this nice gridded sheet in front of you. So you see a shape. It's a specific terrain type. Let's say a T block of trees. So you draw a T block of trees. And maybe you want to have a bunch of trees in the corner of your thing. And then, oh, this is pasture land. So you draw a cross of pasture land because that's what the card says. And the one little catch is, There are attack cards, which are worth negative points, where you take your map and you pass it to your neighbor, and your neighbor uh, (laughs) draws these attack shapes in the middle and most annoying place in your map to prevent you from getting the most points (laughs) and to give you as many negative points, trying to prevent you from reaching those objectives while as being as annoying as possible. And then you pass back the maps and continue on play until the end of the season. You score the objectives at the end of each season. And after the end of four seasons, you total up your score plus points wins. Thanks for the rundown. Jesse, how do you feel about this one? I think it's one of the best roll and write slash flip and writes out there. The rule set is pretty simple. I like the timer that it runs on. Each card has a value of zero, one, or two, and the time adds up over each season, and that keeps the game moving in a forward direction. New monsters and other things get shuffled in at the new season. I think that the return to earlier goals is interesting. Like, you'll have one goal that'll score in the first round and the last round, but you'll also have one score, one goal that'll score in the first or season, whatever. One goal that will score in the first season and the second season, and then it'll never score again. So I think it's really interesting to think about how you want to build your map to best um, maximize what you're going to be scoring and to prioritize where you think you can be successful. I think it's interesting that 
everyone could be playing with the exact same choices and everybody makes different choices usually. That's just a, that's just a fun part of rolling rights. Yeah, but some rolling rights everyone does the exact same thing. And I feel like this one they don't. There are two key design things that I didn't mention is each person player's map has a space at the very top for you to name yourself as a cartographer, give yourself a title, name the land that you are mapping and giving that land of coat of arms. This is a completely unnecessary detail that adds a lot of silliness and a lot of giggles mechanically does nothing, but it is just those little details that just bump it up for me. I do like those touches in a game. They're very nice. All right. Are you guys done shoveling praise on this? All right, David. Yep. What are you, yeah. What are you doing? What do you got? It's, it's fine. It's a typical rolling, right? And I don't think it does anything special other than force me to specifically hurt somebody. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> I, prefer, I prefer my rolling rights to, to let me lose because of my own hubris. Or dig myself, dig my own grave, essentially. But in this one, it's just like, oh, we flipped over an attack card. Here, time to be a dick to the person to your left, or time to be a dick to the person to your right. I have a game for you. It's called Solitaire. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about that positive interaction, man. That's all Uh, I want. Co-op games? I I don't mind co-op games, yeah. I like co-op. I like a lot of co-op. I do play a lot of multiplayer Solitaire. Or, if I play an attack... I want it to attack everybody, like in Dominion. I'm not picking and choosing who I'm hurting. I'm attacking everybody equally. But this one's just like, be a horrible person to your neighbor. <laughs> like, ugh, fine. I guess I'll spend a minute looking at their map and ruining it. It's it's fine. It's okay. I don't think it does anything special. I will, other than, I think they have a lot of nice aesthetic touches like michael mentioned with like the the crest of the land and the title and that and then on top of that they show you how to draw the different terrain types the trees the waters the that uh the terrain types are are forest village farm water monster and one that you're not actually drawing is the mountain terrain that's already i thought they were green blue red yellow purple (laughs) <laughs> they it, it does add a nice touch it does make your map pop a little bit but other than that i think it's okay i think it's all right speaking of speaking of popping i do own several sets of color pencils just for this game such that you don't have to play with boring regular pencils that you can have a green red uh yellow blue purple pencil for each of the terrain types that you will draw that way that your uh, maps will pop and look pretty. So that's a plus in my yeah, book. Yeah, Bic, you can shove it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I just, I've played it a couple of times. I've, it, I've, never, I've never loved it. I'll play it again. I'll play it again. Fair enough. I think there's a, there's a couple of things that this game does to incentivize or, you know, kind of derail your plan. You're playing one... The terrain cards are shuffled, so you're not not knowing exactly what you're going to get. So you may be hoping for a village card so you can score the village. They're called edicts, but I'm going to call them objectives. You can score the village uh, objectives that season perfectly. You know, get like three more points. It'll be so good. 
but you don't know, but you've been waiting for the past four cards to get a village card and you still keep not getting it over and over again. I think that's part. It's a little bit of a little bit of press your luck. And it's like, oh, well, if I kind of do this kind of setup and I hopefully get this card, that's a lot of fun. Uh, there are cards that force you to uh, draw the terrain on ruins. There are spots on your map that have ruins that kind of like throws a wrench into what you're doing. Those ambush monster attacks always throw a wrench into what you're doing, which I really like. And there's also the slight motivation that I mentioned the mountains earlier. If you surround all the spaces orthogonal to the mountains, then you will score a point every season from now on for each mountain that is orthogonally surrounded. Some cards will give you a couple shapes of options. And you can pick the quote-unquote less optimal shape. And that will give you a point every season from now on if you pick that one. And it gives you a variety of options that, you know, kind of forces you into certain kind of plays. But at the same time, gives you a little bit of options. Like, oh, do I play for the for the B objective right now? Or do I focus on the C objective that's coming up in a, in a couple seasons? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't say it was a bad game. I just didn't think it was overly special. Um, I think something else that has that is working against it is the theme. Let's be real; it's a bit nerdy. It's a bit of a nerdy game. David, we're nerds. I know we are, but as a board game evangelist, I don't play always with nerds. So I found it easier to play uh, Welcome Welcome Two with other people. It it's it makes more sense to them, and it's not as nerdy. It's easier to play, in my opinion. It's easier to get to the table. I'd rather play a game about cartography than about uh, perpetuating <laughs> But people understand urban creep. <laughs> <laughs> it's suburban creep. It's called Sprawl. <laughs> Why didn't I know that Sprawlopolis was in my top ten? It was my number four. We're not talking about the history of suburbanization in the United States. <laughs> all right jesse do you give this the board game famous gold star you know i'm kind of on the fence i think this is one of the best if not the best roll and write slash slip and write david you mentioned welcome to and that would probably be the other one that i would consider for the gold star and i also am really partial to this little roll and write called bricks which is like a tetris like roll and write but I do think Cartographers is just slightly better than either of those. And so I think I would give it the gold star, even though I don't think it's necessarily better than every game that we've ever talked about. Like, I don't think it's better than other games I've not given the gold star to. I think it is among the best in its class, if not the best in its class. So I'm going to give it the gold star and I'm going to feel OK about it. <laughs> David, do you give the gold star to uh, cartographers? Okay, so we're making a sandwich? Uh, because yep. no. <laughs> no. All right, David. No, I am not, right, I am not done. <laughs> I'm not done. Uh, I do not give it the board game famous gold star. You were kind of waffling. You think it's best in class. I think it's middle of the road. I think it's fine. Uh, I don't think it does anything special. And I would rather play Welcome to any day of the week. Who's the audience? So we'll talk about that after you give it the gold star. All right. So there's a reason that this was nominated for the Kenner Spiel. And that's because it's a darn good game. All right. 
I am happy to have it in my collection. I am happy to name my kingdom, well, the part of the kingdom, because technically we're doing it for the queen. Uh, my part of the kingdom that I am cartographying. What's the word? Mapping? Yeah. Surveying? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like giving that part of the land a silly name. I like drawing a silly coat of arms. I like using color pencils like I am in the first grade, <laughs> making a drawing with my board games while still playing a very mechanically sound, flipping right, rolling right. It is a great part of my collection. I have fun. People have fun. It is silly and stressful enough at at the right time. I wouldn't say it's as stressful as welcome too, but it is it is fun when I win. It is fun when I lose. It is amazing whenever I just get the right card at the right time. It's really fun whenever I just rack up those points by having those uh, those cumulative score all the darn time. <laughs> Thanks, Crossoff. I really enjoy this game. Who do I think the audience is? It's me. It's me and my <laughs> friends because I enjoy playing this. It, it is a little bit more of a filler game, but whenever I need a palette cleanser or a starting game, I think this is a good choice. So who, who would you recommend it for besides you and your friends? Describe you and your friends to our listening audience who are mostly you and your friends. <laughs> who are also mostly listeners. Shout out to me and my friends. <laughs> I would recommend it to anybody 14 up because I think that this is, deserves a gold star. And if you want a roll and write slash flip and write in your collection, that this should be one that you should consider. I had to go into holding the mic mode because that's how much I wanted to talk about how I think this deserves a gold star after being lambasted lamb- by David. I don't hate the game. It's just, <laughs> it's just fine. <laughs> Look, you get to make shapes. I like putting shapes on a paper. Like we've established that I like polyomino games. Like this I is like, basically a polyomino game. I do like polyomino games. I don't like drawing my own polyominoes. You brought. I, I do have a gripe to pick with this game. That's, that's annoying. It's so hard Look, for me to draw. This game is good. Patchwork Doodle is bad. Like, period. Let's stop talking about this. I thought we were on a timeline tonight. <laughs> Next segment. And now it's time for Brother Talk, the part of the podcast where we talk about whatever we feel like talking this this fortnight and this fortnight we're talking about solved games and by what i and what i mean by that is certain games have been don't have a lot of options or have been played for so long that there is a defined best turn and we can talk about how games avoid this problem what games might have a quote-unquote solution let's talk about it michael you you were the uh you wanted to talk about this did you have a specific game in mind all right, I'm not good enough at it, but word on the street is that my favorite game, Scythe, is quote-unquote solved by the best players, that after the first few rounds, that it's pretty much decided who's going to win the game. I don't know if that's if that's true, but that sounds like some kind of solving. So it's just like there's an optimal strategy, there's an optimal way of playing, and it seems almost deterministic. Examples of older games that are 100% solved would be Connect 4. A skilled Connect 4 player knows that if you play first, you're going to win. That's it. But like tic-tac-toe. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what you're doing, it's a draw. So with modern board games, 
the mechanics and the systems are a little bit more complicated. So the strategies to win these are not as known, not as clear, and not as obvious. And yet, because this, um, because this uh, hobby is so popular and there are certain games that get played so many times, some games have found an optimal strategy. Some people say that I think it's either race for the galaxy or a roll for the galaxy that if you know what you're doing, the military strat always wins. I, I could believe that. Whoever does the military strat the best. So we touched a bit about this when we were talking about um, turn order advantage. We talked we talked about turn order advantage uh, a little. We, t- we touched on this a little bit on turn order advantage where you're sitting next to a a disadvantaged uh, a newer player, somebody who doesn't necessarily know what they're doing can throw a wrench in a quote-unquote solved game. So one of those more common games is Puerto Rico. That one, I think, is considered solved. Uh, At least not with the... uh, At least as long as you don't have the expansion, because uh, you're either buying the same buildings that are always out, um, and and there are optimal turns to take. So if the person goes, Captain, you need to take this one next if you have a chance to win. You need to take... Then the third player will need to take this one if they have a chance to win. Because people have played this game so many times and the way to come combat this is to have some sort of randomness in your game as much as i don't like having randomness in there a certain amount of randomness is needed in your game the other solution is just to have an overwhelming number of options to a player it's called chess exactly it's <laughs> chess or go <laughs> it's chess or go all right you want a game that's not solved? Well, I, so chess chess isn't solved, but it is solved to a degree. And people have realized that it's solved to a degree where they start making suboptimal plays because now their opponent realizes th- they don't know how to set up the trap for the solution of the optimal move. So now you, you have to introduce suboptimal plays into your turn because parts of chess are quote-unquote solved. I'm glad you brought up Scythe, uh, as because while I don't think it is solved, because the encounters in that game are what add what inject a little bit of that randomness. The uncertainty of what factory card you might get has a little bit of that injection of randomness, and I think it's just enough in there. Yes, that is that is that is a true statement that there is a certain amount of randomness in Scythe that does truly keep it from being actually solved. Right. And, and, and I, I agree with what you're saying that like the experienced players quote unquote solved it uh, because I I play blue normally that's the, that's the color my color choice so for my first few games I played Nordic factions uh, which is the blue player in uh, Scythe and I started destroying people who were not used to the faction that they were used to playing just because I knew the optimal moves to make to get blue's engine up and running. And it was really easy for me to do that. Jesse made a face, like, because uh, I don't think the Nordic faction is particularly good. I made a good. face that you chose your faction. Like, that's always been randomized every time I've played. Oh, well, I, just, I play blue. I was like, I'll play blue. I'll, I'll be Nordic. It's whatever. Nordic is perfectly fine as a faction. Um, now, when I think of solved game, Scythe is the first one that comes to mind because specific faction and industry mats have been banned. Industry, is that the right word for those mats? cultural mats, whatever the word is, 
Certain combinations have been banned because they have been solved so that an experienced player can win in like 13 or 14 turns, which is unreasonable for other faction mat combinations. I, however, am not smart enough to do that and feel really good about myself if I like am able to place four stars by the end of the game. <laughs> I just want my happiness to be high. I've I've never looked up solutions to games or like strategies for games to try and be the best. That's that's just not something for me. No, thank you. I I will admit that I looked up a couple strategies uh, for Twilight Imperium, so. I wouldn't look like a fool. Because <laughs> I knew that at my table... Well, one, I knew, wanted to know who my faction was. And I knew at the table I was right next to the best player at the table. So... <laughs> Alright, if I'm going to be spending six, eight hours next to this guy, who, uh, very nice. <laughs> it's like, and I don't want my butt beaten into a pulp. <laughs> what are some options? I was going to say, there's just certain games where my solution is just to lose by a bunch of points because I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people have pretty much solved Dominion, which seems impossible based on how many action combinations there are out there. But really, an experienced Dominion player will just look at your 10 set of Kingdom cards and go, I'm buying from those two piles, I'm going to win in about 7 turns. <laughs> Which is unrealistic. It's probably about 20 turns. I don't think that always works, though, because then you get the random cards that you draw from the deck that you build. Once you, so that once you always... hit critical mass, it doesn't matter. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Again, I'm not smart enough to do it. <laughs> and I think also in games like that, like there are limited quantities of things. So if someone else is trying to take the same strategy, you are like, you can't necessarily get all of the something card or whatever. That's fair. That's fair. But in competitive dominion play, you're only playing with two, two players. It's a two player game and a 10 pile stack is more than enough to get your fair share to hit that critical mass. Is there not setups where you can prevent these kinds of strats? Not really. That, that force different kinds of strats. They they tr- he tried to do that with um, one of his expansions where he gave a bunch of benefits to um, having deck diversity, and it it just doesn't work that well uh, as as a preventative method. Now it is one of my favorite sets because I'm not one of those people who can look at a set and go, oh, I'm gonna only buy those two actions, uh, and I lose to the app almost every day. <laughs> oh, speaking of my joke earlier, I've solved quantum. Just not play you. <laughs> I was playing. I was playing Andrew. This was like five or six years ago. No, it was longer than that. It was a long time ago. I was playing Andrew, and I was playing with an extra quantum cube, which is which just lengthens my win condition because it's whoever plays the most, whoever places all their quantum cubes first wins the game. I still beat him. Any other thoughts on uh, solved games? Nope. I don't know how to do it. I was going to say, I wish I was good enough to actually solve games. I agree with Jesse. I can't even solve games where you're supposed to solve them. And our next section is mail time. And this uh, this Fortnite's question comes from me. So yesterday, I, I meant to send a picture in the Discord, but I forgot to. Uh, I was getting fruit out of the refrigerator, and I found one of my board game baggies in the refrigerator. So my question is, what's the weirdest place you guys have ever found a board game piece or a board game that you've left? What's, what's the, where's the weirdest place you've uh, found a board game? 
or a board game component. While you guys are thinking, I'll tell another story about how I lost one of my smallest games. I lost my copy of Lie, which is the, it's from the Pack of Games series, so they are very small to begin with. I had tossed my board game bag on my bed, and the tiny game Lie had bounced out and landed in one of my shoes. And I found it about seven months later when I tried to put my shoe on. Were you going barefoot that whole time in between? Man, I love working from home. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just a specific type of shoe. It was a dress shoe, so I just didn't wear my dress shoes very often. Sounds like you're just terrible at putting away board games. <laughs> no, right? It bounced out. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, I found a piece on the floor. I found it in my house. I found it at my <laughs> friend's house. No weird places? Am I, the I was old? walking down the street. And there I was, just a meeple. <laughs> Jesse, with the amount of with the amount of board games you have, you you haven't lost a piece once and found it in a weird spot. I try to be pretty organized, and if I lose something, I probably don't find it. I lost. Okay, I lost the round tracker to Gloomhaven, and I have no clue whatever happened to it because it's literally a tiny cardboard rectangle. But I have a random like red semi-transparent cube that who knows where or what it came from which is the replacement round tracker it's from some game <laughs> probably in my collection you know the, the reason i don't have problems with missing pieces is because of davis shout out to davis for always putting away the games Facts. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we did ask davis where where's the weirdest place he's found the piece all right davis send a message in the discord channel when you uh when you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us again in a fortnight for another podcast. If you can't wait that long, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can join our discord using the link below. There's also an Instagram that Michael might be posting on this week. Unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, you can find it using the link below. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye, y'all.